All right, good evening. Let's turn together in our Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter 2. Now, we um, finished up through verse 3 of chapter 2, but I want to back up just to kind of get the flow. So, I mean, the chapter divisions were not in the original, obviously. And sometimes we tend to stop when the chapter's over, but the thought keeps going. So let's back up to 1 Peter 1, and uh, let's look at the context of what Peter's talking about. Verse 19, he says, Because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns, and Christ the morning star shines in your hearts above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets, and of course he's talking about God's true prophets, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. But there were also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them. In this way they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. Many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. And because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get a hold of your money. But God condemned them long ago, and their destruction will not be delayed." And so Peter continues his comments concerning the judgment coming upon false teachers who pervert God's word, who teach destructive or damning heresies and keep people from salvation by denying the Lord Jesus Christ who bought them on Calvary's cross. His next statement is very interesting, guys. Remember the context is God judging false teachers. He said, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. Now, then he goes on, but let me stop there. I believe verses 4 and 5 go together in the sense that angels, listen, Angels had something to do with the flood in the days of Noah. That it had something to do with a teaching that they brought to the ancient world that was believed and embraced by the people living on the earth at that time and eventually led to God judging the entire world with a flood. Let's unpack what Peter is saying. He said, first of all, if God did not spare the angels who sinned, now, this is a reference to fallen angels, of course, uh, angels of God who fell when they sinned against the Lord by joining with Lucifer in his rebellion to overthrow the Almighty. That was the first sin in the universe. Uh, Lucifer's rebellion started in heaven before Genesis chapter 3. Uh, I, you don't have to turn to it, but Isaiah describes the aftermath of Satan's failed coup in Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 14. He said, Oh, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. 
For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. That will be a reference to the angels. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Lucifer, the Bible tells us, was the most beautiful and powerful angel God ever created. The highest ranking of an angel is a cherub, a cherub. Lucifer was, as the Bible puts it, the anointed cherub that covered. That comes out of Ezekiel 28, verse 14. What does that mean? Well, he was anointed by God to cover all the other angels. He was the top angel in heaven. He was just under the Trinity in the sense that, uh, as authority goes, not in power, of course, the Trinity is infinitely powerful. But in authority in heaven, it was the Trinity, and then there was Lucifer. And so he was beautiful, powerful, and perfect in his ways until iniquity, the Bible says, was found in him. He didn't want to be number two. He wanted to be like the Most High. He wanted to be God. And so he led this rebellion in heaven and, uh, of course, it was put down. Uh, God wasn't threatened at all, but it was put down. And uh, he fell. Lucifer fell. But he wasn't the only one, guys. Revelation 12, verse 4 tells us that one-third of the angels of heaven followed Satan in his rebellion, uh, and they also became fallen angels. Uh, so sometime before Genesis uh, chapter 3, Lucifer sinned in heaven and fell. You know, Jesus mentions this in Luke chapter 10, verse 18, when he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now at that time, his authority in heaven was terminated. He was no longer the anointed cherub that covered. In other words, he was no longer the top guy. Still beautiful, still powerful. Uh, that will change eventually when he's cast into hell. But uh, even right now, the Bible says, the first time you're going to see Lucifer, when we are glorified, we stand with the Lord, the very first time the Bible actually says is that we see Lucifer, here's the reaction we're going to have. Is this the one that caused all the trouble? Is this the guy? Why are we going to say that? Because he's so beautiful. See, we equate evil with ugliness, right? We don't really equate beauty with evil. Uh, this is a book that was written by a, a woman named Joanna Michelson years ago. I think you can probably still get it somewhere, but... Uh, uh, she was uh, uh, into the occult. Uh, she uh, uh, worked for a, uh, a psychic healer, and quite a book. And um, eventually the Lord saved her out of all of that. She thought she was a Christian. Uh, but her sister was actually a Christian and was praying for her. But every time her sister tried to witness to Joanna, uh, Joanna shut her down, thought her sister was just this really over-the-top, you know, because uh, obviously... The sister had morals. Uh, she lived her life according to God's word, and Joanna thought she was narrow-minded, bigoted, and so on. But eventually, I won't get into the whole story, eventually God saved her, and she wrote a book called The Beautiful Side of Evil. And the book talks about how that the devil's not going to deceive people with ugliness. He's going to try to come as an angel of light. He's going to try to come with things that seem to help you. That see, things that seem to benefit you and so on. But it's a hook to drag you in under his control. The beautiful side of evil. So when the, the, the devil uh, fell, 
Uh, he came to the earth, and the earth seems to have become his domain of authority. Uh, he became the god of this world. But when he fell and he came to the earth, the first thing he wanted to do was to export, uh, export his rebellion to the earth. Uh, the same rebellion he had unsuccessfully tried to uh, import into heaven. Well, God didn't allow that. So now Satan comes down to the earth and uh, he tries to uh, impose on the human race the very rebellion that he himself uh, tried to impose in heaven. He wanted to be God. And now he tries to get Eve to embrace that very thing that uh, she would uh, become a grasper after Godhood herself. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. Very important uh, that we understand the enemy we are facing and what he tries to do. Paul said, we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. And the idea is if you don't know your enemy, if you don't know how he works and uh, the uh, playbook he operates from, you're probably not going to be victorious over him. It's important that we understand what the Bible is teaching us about Satan and how he works, and in particular, uh, how he's working in the world right now to um, overthrow the purposes of God. So uh, in Genesis chapter 3, of course, you know the story. God had made Adam and Eve, put them in a beautiful garden, told them that they could eat of all the trees in the garden except for the tree in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God says you can't uh, eat from that tree lest you surely die. So Satan takes the form of a serpent. And in verse 4, he said to the woman, to Eve, well, he asked her, you know, Eve, uh, you know, why don't you eat some of this forbidden fruit? And uh, didn't God tell you you could eat of all the trees in the garden? She, well, she said, well, God did say that, but he said he could not eat from this one tree, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, lest we would die. And Satan said to her, you will not surely die. Verse 5, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, guys, this lie that Satan told Eve was the very first lie in the Bible. And you need to understand this. There is something uh, in hermeneutics, which is the science of Bible interpretation, called the law of first mention. Whenever you find a, uh, a concept that's important, like worship or marriage, or here in this case, uh, a lie, Study the first place that it appears in the Bible because that usually becomes the prototype for understanding uh, that concept or subject throughout the entire Bible. So you want to know about marriage? Where do we go to, to uh, lay the groundwork for marriage? Genesis 2, right? Worship. Well, that's Genesis 5, or, or 22, I should say, uh, around verse 5. How about the first lie? Don't we deal with lies all the time? Aren't we living in a world full of lies? The devil is the father of lies. Didn't Jesus say he only knows how to lie? He's a liar from the beginning. So the devil is a liar who foists his lies upon the human race that deceives so many. It would be wise of us to study the very first lie in the Bible that he uh, perpetrated on the human race. It's right here in Genesis chapter 3. And guys, when it comes to Satan's lie here, well, it's made up of four different false doctrines. Four different false doctrines. And let me just say this. You can find these four doctrines in part or in total in every false religion, cult, occult practice, and humanistic teaching on the face of the earth. These four basic doctrines that make up Satan's lies are, and I'll 
I'm, this is going to be abbreviated. If you want a fuller explanation, go uh, into our uh, online to our Battle for Truth, parts two and three. And we get into this in even greater detail. I'm just going to streamline it, though, okay? Give you a working knowledge, and you can dig out more on your own. But this one lie contains four basic lies, all right? Uh, number one. Now, this one, some of these are more obvious than the others. This one is not as obvious as the other three, but bear with me. The first part of Satan's lie is that God is not personal, but an impersonal force that fills the universe and everything and everyone in it. You see, when Satan came to Eve, one of the things that he subtly planted in, into her mind was the concept that the person that she had come to know as God, listen, was not God because of who he was. He was God because of what he knew. Verse 5, you will become like God knowing. In other words, this God had become God because of special knowledge he had. He knew something uh, that others did not know. Uh, this knowledge allowed him to tap into some kind of a power or a force that gave him his power, that made him the God that he was. And he didn't want anyone else to have this force or know how to tap into it. And so he was trying to keep Eve from something uh, that he knew was very good, but something he didn't want to share. And here's the thing. Apparently, this power was not found in any one locality. It filled the known universe, and it was, it was available to anyone. Uh, this is a power, and of course, uh, in the Garden of Eden, when Satan um, planted this lie in the human race, it was um, conceived at that time. It was in its embryonic state. Uh, we've had 6,000 years for it to grow and, and, uh, and fill the, the world, and we know that the, the major teaching on this subject uh, comes from Hinduism, which believes, you know, that God is an impersonal force that fills the entire universe and everything and everyone in it. It's called pantheism. Pan, all, theism, God. All is God because the God force fills all of us, they believe. So again, guys, here you have the first part of the lie. God is not personal, but an impersonal force that fills the universe and flows through everything and everyone in it. Number two, the second element of the lie that Satan told Eve was that there is no ultimate death. When Satan told Eve, you will not surely die, he was saying to her, Eve, there is no ultimate death. This, of course, became the basis for the doctrine of reincarnation, another doctrine associated with Hinduism, that nobody really dies, they just keep getting recycled. They, they keep being reincarnated into another body on the earth. If you do badly, uh, this time around, the next time, you'll, you'll devolve, okay? If you're really a terrible person, you might become an insect in the next life, okay? But if you're a good person, a moral person, uh, somebody that really, you know, tries to live a good life, when you die, you'll be reincarnated into a higher form of, uh, of existence and so on. But um, there is no ultimate death. We just kind of keep coming back until we get it right, the doctrine of reincarnation. Number three, the third element of the lie that Satan told Eve was that she could become a god. 
that she could become a god. He said, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Or in other words, you will ascend to godhood. Guys, this was the first, as I said, and greatest lie in the Bible. The lie that Satan told Eve that man can become God. Man can become God. Uh, this is what the devil wanted. He didn't want to worship the true and living God. He wanted to be God. And this is the rebellion he exported to the earth. This is the first lie he foisted on the human race. This is the lie that has grown throughout the last 6,000 years of uh, man's existence on the earth. And as we're going to see in a moment, the devil's not through with this lie. He is not through with this lie. Number four, the fourth element of the lie that Satan told Eve was that Godhood, listen, could be achieved through the tree of knowledge. That Godhood could be achieved through the tree of knowledge. Or in other words, the path to Godhood is through enlightenment. Enlightenment. Which she could bring about by doing something. Which in Eve's case was to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Today, of course, people are taught that they can become enlightened through a variety of techniques and practices such as transcendental meditation, visualization, other occult tools and techniques uh, that are being used to gain enlightenment and ultimately to uh, reach godhood. Uh, many in our culture believe this. I remember when the, the movie uh, Out in a Broken Limb came out with Shirley MacLaine, you know, and uh, back then I didn't really know too much about what she believed. She's a New Ager, and of course new, the New Age is just westernized Hinduism is all it is and uh, but it was interesting to see her stand on the beach with her arms spread out saying i am god i am god you know well you are god with a little g because you don't bow to the one and only true god the god with a big g capital g right anybody who refuses to worship and submit to god almighty is a god a grasper after godhood see satan told Eve the truth in this regard. She would become a god, but not the true living god. She would be a false god, a grasper after godhood, one who would live in rebellion against the true and living god. Guys, this is the lie that Satan planted into the human race in the Garden of Eden. As I said, it's been growing and spreading for thousands of years and has become, in a sense, a tree. If it was a seed in the Garden of Eden... After 6,000 years, it has grown up and become a great tree that has filled the whole earth with the deadly fruit of false doctrine. Hinduism, Mormonism, the New Age movement, and other things, other belief systems are connected to the idea that man has the ability, the capacity, if he just understands certain things, if he just gets enlightened, uh, he can ascend to godhood. He can become God. It's interesting that I think it was C.S. Lewis who traced all the major religions and cults in the world back to two primary sources, Judeo-Christianity and Hinduism, both of which got their start in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden was the truth of God, which became the basis for Judaism, later Christianity, and then the lie of the devil, which was the basis for Hinduism and all that is branched out from it. This ultimate deception that Satan planted in the Garden of Eden all those years ago. This ultimate deception is what the Bible calls the lie. Not a lie, but the lie. You can read Romans 1, 
verse 25. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 11. It talks about the lie, definite article, a very specific lie. The world is full of lies. And the Bible records many lies that the devil and fallen man have uh, spoken. But there's one lie that stands head and shoulders above them all. It's the mother of all lies from which many other lies and deceptions have sprung from. Now, guys, I believe that this uh, very lie that Satan introduced into the human race in the Garden of Eden is uh, the same lie that Satan is going to use to deceive the world when he comes and makes his appearance uh, on the world scene as a world leader. We know the Bible tells us that a world leader will arise and unite the world in a one-world government. We call this leader the Antichrist. I say we call him the Antichrist. You know, the Bible never actually calls him the Antichrist. He goes by a lot of names. Most of them are connected with his big mouth or connected to his big mouth, okay? He speaks pompous words, blah, blah, you know, that, but he goes by, I forgot how many different titles in Scripture, but uh, Antichrist is not one of them. That's okay. Uh, it's a title we've given him. That's fine. And by the way, the word anti in the Greek doesn't just mean against. It could, but it could also mean in place of. When the Antichrist comes, he's not going to be against uh, the idea of God. Not initially. He, he want to replace God and Christ. We'll talk about that. I'm getting ahead of myself more in just a moment. So there's going to come a world leader at one point who will unite the world in, uh, in a one world government. The Bible also tells us that he's going to have a cohort, uh, a sidekick named the false pro or called the false prophet, who will unite the world in a one world religion. And together they're going to deceive the whole world, with the exception, of course, of those who come to Christ during the tribulation period. Now, Paul the Apostle, even though the Antichrist has not made his appearance yet on the world scene, I believe he's alive. I'm just saying he hasn't risen to power yet. Even though the Antichrist has not uh, risen to power where the world knows, here's the leader that we want to lead the world, Paul the Apostle said the mystery of iniquity is already at work. In other words, that Satan is already preparing the world to receive this false messiah, and to embrace his false gospel, which the Bible calls the lie. Turn to 2 Thessalonians 2. Uh, in 2 Thessalonians 2, starting with verse 9, Paul is talking here about the coming of the Antichrist onto the world scene. He said in verse 9, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. Well, the Antichrist is going to be Satan's man. He's going to be Satan's guy. And uh, he will come on the world scene uh, because the devil is going to bring him, God's going to allow it, as God has already prophesied what's coming. But uh, he's going to come, the Antichrist, according to the working of Satan, with all power, supernatural power, real power, signs, he's able to do miracles, lying wonders, uh, miracles that deceive and not reveal truth, like Jesus' miracles. Uh, Jesus' miracles always reveal truth. The Antichrist miracles will be intended to deceive uh, mislead people down the Broadway that leads to hell. He's going to come with all power, signs, and lying wonders, verse 10, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth, the gospel. They rejected the gospel uh, that they might be saved, and for this reason God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. I believe the Antichrist religion will be rooted in the belief. Now, 
We know that he's going to eventually institute a new religion. We'll talk about that more in a second. But I believe the Antichrist religion will be rooted in the belief that mankind can become a super race of God beings who will live forever. Now, I'm, I'm piecing things together from different parts of the Bible. I'm reading between the lines a little bit. And so, you know, I'm, I might be wrong in some of the specifics. But the general idea is very biblical. We know he's going to start a new religion. All right. What is it going to entail? What's going to be a part of that religion? Uh, Paul, in 2 Thessalonians 2, connects the Antichrist, his coming, his religion with the lie. So I don't see why it's a stretch to say, well, let's look at the Garden of Eden again and look at what was going on back then and what made up the lie that Satan told then because it's the same lie today. I mean, it's been the goal of Hinduism, Mormonism, the New Age movement, many other uh, movements and all, that uh, those who believe in these things, well, they believe that they really are gods already, but they just need to be enlightened. And if we can get enough people enlightened, it's the idea, okay? Uh, if enough people will embrace, uh, and, if, if, and if you are a monotheist, they tell you, those in the uh, occult that believe this kind of thing, that you're really God and so on, Everything is turned backwards. It's amazing how the devil will take things and flip them upside down. So now good becomes evil, evil becomes good, all right? Today, uh, in, in the normal way of thinking, anybody who says, I'm God, that's pride, right? But they're telling us, no, if you say you're not God, that's pride. Because you're holding everyone back. The sooner you get on the bandwagon, the sooner you get with the program... And believe that you're God, part of the God consciousness. We need you to get on board. Because when we get enough people to believe that, at one point they say the human race will reach a critical mass of consciousness that will catapult it into this higher consciousness uh, where everyone will become gods on the planet Earth. Now, the monotheists, they're cancer cells. Mother Earth is a body. I'm just parroting what they say. Mother Earth, Barbara Marks Hubbard and others like her, uh, Mother Earth is, a, you know, she, it's, a, it's a living thing, the Earth. And all the monotheists, you and me, Jews, Muslims, we are all cancer cells on the body because we don't believe that we're all part of the God consciousness. And therefore, when this critical mass of consciousness is reached and the Earth is catapulted into this new age, where people become gods, well, you're going to be done away with. Either some believe the earth will go through a cleansing cycle and you'll be gone. I believe the rapture will happen. That's where I'm going to be gone. And you're going to be gone. But if not, then they actually advocate that they're going to have to go through the earth and kill all the monotheists. Because you're really holding us back. But that's okay. You'll come back reincarnated again and, and you'll get with the program eventually. You'll come back enlightened and so on, okay? So it's a wonderful world that we have to look forward to if Jesus tarries. But um, this is the lie of the devil. And I believe the rapture is going to happen. You know, when the rapture happens, uh, those who are these uh, New Agers and Hindus and all, they're going to believe, of course, it's going to coincide. I believe the rapture is going to happen just before the Antichrist is revealed. That's my take on it. I don't believe we can be here when the Antichrist rises to power, for a lot of reasons. He's the first judgment of God upon the earth. Read Revelation 6. He's the, the first seal is broken. 
which are God's judgments, here comes the Antichrist. We have not been appointed to wrath. Uh, wrath is God's judgment. So I don't believe for that and a lot of other reasons we're going to see the Antichrist, okay? So the rapture happens almost simultaneously with the Antichrist being revealed. And people are going to think, wow, the earth has just gone through its cleansing cycle. The monotheists are gone. You know? This is it, utopia, new age. Guys, listen to me. The very lie that caused the human race to fall in the beginning, Garden of Eden, I believe is going to be the ultimate deception that Satan is going to use against the human race in the end. He's not done with this lie by any means. I want you to take a few steps back and I want you to look at all of human history as an invisible war between Satan and Almighty God. A war that goes all the way back to Genesis. When we read the two verses we're going to get to today, and, you know, because uh, we're kind of, you know, we're kind of using them to kind of launch into this kind of a uh, ancillary study. But okay, all right. Let me read those two verses again. This time I want you to read them in the context that Peter gave them. We have the truth of God, which brings victory. We have the lies of the devil, which enslave and destroy. We have the true prophets who proclaim God's true word. And then in the world we have false prophets who proclaim the devil's lies. I want you to understand that these two verses are Peter's way of talking about this warfare we're in. Okay? Let's read them again. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell. Now, that's an unfortunate translation. I'm not sure why it hasn't been corrected uh, in the newer translations. Um, my New King James says hell. It's not Gehenna in the Greek. It's Tartarus. What is Tartarus? Um, we don't know for sure. It's the only place in the New Testament that word appears. In classic Greek, Tartarus was the lowest compartment of Hades. Hades is not hell. Hell is in the outer darkness. Hades is in the center of the earth. You can read Luke 16. And Hades is where the souls of unbelievers go now um, because Christ has come and died for our sins. And so uh, Abraham's bosom is empty, the place where Old Testament saints were kept until Messiah could come and pay for their sins. And then he led the captivity out of their captivity into heaven. So now Paul said to be absent from the body be present with the Lord. So when a Christian dies today, we don't go down into Abraham's bosom. It's empty. We go into heaven with the Lord, our soul and spirit. But um, for those unbelievers, they still go into this other side of Hades. But in classic Greek, there is supposed to be a lowest of all part of Hades called Tartarus, which is where the most wicked spirit beings are kept. So if God didn't spare the angels who sinned, Peter said, but cast them down to Tartarus and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. I want you to see all of that is part of the war. Okay? Angels who sinned came against God in this invisible war. And they did things. And they taught things. 
that eventually led to God wiping the entire world out with a flood. When Peter mentions angels that sinned, I don't believe he's referring to all the angels that followed Lucifer in his rebellion against God. In fact, he doesn't even have that sin in mind. He's not talking about the very first sin in the universe where Lucifer and his angels rebelled against God. This is a different sin that came later. These angels that sinned are not speaking of all fallen angels that went with Lucifer and his rebellion. I believe that he has in mind some of the fallen angels that came to earth after God promised to send a redeemer. Remember Genesis 3 now. In the garden, Adam and Eve had just eaten the forbidden fruit. God pronounces the curse. But in Genesis 3.15, God said, but I'm going to send a redeemer, basically. I'm paraphrasing. When he comes, he's going to crush the serpent's head. He's going to defeat the devil and, of course, all of his angels. Now, the devil and his angels were standing there listening to God make this promise that someday a redeemer was going to be born on the earth and this redeemer would defeat the devil. The devil wants, no way he's going to, this is my planet, okay? Uh, this is my neighborhood. He's not coming here and taking away my authority. You hear that, guys? You know? We're going to get this human race. We're going to declare war on mankind. We're going to stop this redeemer from being born is the idea, okay? And so, guys, this led to a group of, listen, super, and I, and I'm, again, I'm not just making this up. Uh, when I call this group of angels that sinned, not all of them, but this one elite group of super malevolent fallen angels, the Bible calls them exceedingly fierce, but this led to a group, as I said, of super elite, hyper malevolent fallen angels coming to the earth with a message of deception that led mankind into such an egregious sin that eventually led to the destruction of the entire human race with a worldwide flood, all except for eight people, Noah and his family. This sin, as I said, was conceived through a teaching. Remember, the whole context of 2 Peter 2 is false teachers. Now, I encourage you, when you read your Bibles, to make sure you know, look carefully for the context. The only way you can find the context is by reading the entire passage and making sure you understand what the main idea is, who he is basically writing to or referring to, the author, okay? Peter has just finished chapter 1 by telling us God's truth is in the world through prophets, his word. But Satan, we're at war, has infiltrated the world with lies. And we have to be careful to know what they are, right? But uh, this lie that Peter's referring to, that these angels came to the earth, this is after Satan deceived Eve and Adam, okay? But um, these fallen angels, ultimately this, this lie was, of course, from their boss, the devil. But uh, it was a lie that was so wicked that these angels brought to the human race and corrupted the world so completely that Peter tells us in 1 Peter 3, verse 19, that God chained these particular angels in a special compartment in Hades, Tartarus, until the day of judgment. And that when Jesus died, he went into Hades. Remember he said that he's going to descend into the lower parts of the earth? Uh, as um, uh, Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, the Son of Man will spend three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Okay? Some of you say, well, that was the tomb. The tomb was the heart of the earth. Okay, Hades is in the middle of, the, of, of planet Earth, okay? That's the heart. 
of the earth. Jesus, after he died on the cross, before he ascended, Paul said in Ephesians 4, he first descended. We know he released the captives from Abraham's bosom and eventually led them into heaven, right? As we just said, now for us as believers to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But before he released the captives, he did something else that only Peter tells us about, that Jesus went down and declared his victory. Now, again, I'm getting ahead of myself. He declared his victory to the spirits who were once disobedient in the days of Noah. Now, hang on to that thought. We'll come back to it. What I want you to just see right now before we we'll move on, um, when Jesus died, he went into Hades and declared his victory to these wicked creatures implying a battle that he had won over some nefarious plan that they tried to implement on the earth, of course, under the leadership of Satan, but a plan God thwarted. Aren't you glad? Okay. Look, when Peter calls Noah in verse 5 a preacher of righteousness, did he refer to Noah this way because at that time there were so many preachers of unrighteousness, so many people, but first and foremost, fallen angels who had filled the world with this lie, all right? And a lot of people jumped on the bandwagon, and now you had a lot of preachers of unrighteousness, a lot of people who were proclaiming the lie in the world. And Noah was like the only guy who was preaching righteousness, you know? We would say he was a narrow-way preacher today in a world full of Broadway preachers, I believe the angels that Peter is referring to in verse 4 who, that sinned was a reference to a group of Satan angels that had come to the earth on a mission. Again, a mission to stop Messiah from being born. Look, if they could stop Messiah from being born on the earth, well, then he would never grow up and defeat Satan and his angels. Pretty obvious, right? Just what was the plan that Satan devised and his angels implemented to keep Messiah from being born? Well, turn to Genesis chapter 6. We're looking at this plan, right? The, these angels, a group of super elite, hyper-malevolent, Green Beret fallen angels, came to the earth on a mission from their general, the devil himself, to keep Messiah from being born. The ultimate goal, Messiah is never born. He can't defeat Satan and his fallen angels. So what was this plan? And uh, how did the angels uh, of the devil implement this plan to keep Messiah from being born? Genesis 6, verse 1, Now it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. The phrase sons of God, now let me just say this, not everybody agrees with what, with what I'm about to tell you. This is my interpretation. I'm not alone. There's some very well-known Bible teachers who agree with this interpretation. But it's not believed by every Bible scholar or theologian, okay? I'm going to tell you what I believe. And uh, if you want a fuller explanation, again, go on and, online and, and, and listen to the Genesis 6 study. But um, came to pass when men began to multiply in the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God, saw the daughters of men were fair, beautiful. They took for themselves wives of these uh, daughters of men. The phrase sons of God, guys, only appears in three other places in the Old Testament. Job 1, verse 6. Job 2, verse 1. 
in Job 38, verse 7. In each of these passages, the phrase sons of God is a clear reference to angels, so much so that the NIV simply drops the sons of God phrase in favor of the word angels. Here's what the NIV, how it translates Job 1, verse 6. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. So they just offer the term angels, because they know that's what it really is talking about. Now, I believe what's in view here in Genesis 6 is that fallen angels came down to the earth and cohabitated with human women, called the daughters of men, in an effort to contaminate the human race with demon seed so Messiah couldn't be born. Now, you have to understand something. This is where, remember we talked about the false teaching, right? Remember, we, that's the whole context of what Peter's talking about. The devil cannot force anybody to do anything. Just like God could, but won't, because he respects our free will, he tries to reason with us. Come, let us reason together, says the Lord, right? He tries to persuade us. He tries to reason with us. He could force us to do things. I don't believe he does. The devil's powerful enough to force people to do his bidding, but God won't let him do that. So the devil has to use lies to persuade, coerce, to get people to follow him of their own free will. Once they do, then he can get a hold of them, okay? So when these fallen angels came down to the world, they had to preach a message that the human race would buy into. This message, I believe, was a very enticing message. What is more enticing than a person can become God, okay? And I believe that at very least the message to the fallen world was that, look, if the devil didn't tell them directly you can become gods, the word went out to any woman who wanted to be a host where she would be impregnated by one of these demigods who came down. We know they were fallen angels, but people in the world didn't know that. They thought they were the gods come down. And so if you want to present yourself as a host, then we can impregnate you and you will be the mother of God children who will grow up to be gods in the earth the deception right led to the demonic practice that's what i believe is going on here now let me just say this genesis 6 wouldn't be enough in and of itself to convince me that um, verses 1 to 4 is talking about fallen angels coming down to the earth to cohabitate with human women i mean um, what really drives this view home to me is that this incident is mentioned not once but three times in the New Testament. Once in Jude, and uh, Peter twice mentions it in each of his two epistles. Let's turn to Jude and look at the first passage. Again, if I was just reading uh, Genesis 6, 1 to 4, that might be reading a lot into it, okay? If I didn't have corroboration from the New Testament, Jude and Peter in both of his epistles talks about this very thing in Genesis 6. I, you know, that's why I, I believe I am on solid ground with the interpretation that I'm sharing with you. But Jude, only one chapter, verse 6, Jude says, And the angels who did not keep their proper domain. Now he's talking about the same angels Peter makes reference to. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode. Where, where's the home of angels? 
heaven, right? So they came down, they left heaven, and uh, came down to the earth. These angels, Jude tells us, God has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So guys, right here Jude is telling us what happened in Genesis 6. That fallen angels left heaven, their proper domain, their own abode or home, and came to the earth to commit sexual immorality by going after strange flesh. But what's strange flesh for an angel? Human flesh. Human flesh. He uses Sodom and Gomorrah as an illustration of what he's referring to. Just like homosexual sex is unnatural, so is sex between fallen angels and human women. Now, and I don't have time to get into it. You've got to go online and listen to the full teaching because some people say, well, that's impossible. Angels are sexless. They can't have sex. The Bible never says they're sexless. In fact, the Bible calls them sons of God, which is a masculine thing. And in the occult, there has been many recorded instances where women have surrendered their bodies to demons uh, and have had sex with demons uh, in the occult. And we know these women, some of them have gotten saved and shared that. It's, so you know, there's a lot we don't understand. Okay, We can't make assumptions. But um, the bottom line is, this was the devil's attempt to contaminate the human race with demon seeds so Messiah wouldn't be born. Now, I realize some might be thinking at this point, you know, do you really expect me to believe that fallen angels came down to the earth to contaminate the human race with this demon seed to keep Messiah from being born? And that was why God sent the flood to purge the earth of demon half-breeds. I mean, is that what you're saying to me? That's ridiculous. Maybe. Maybe. But if I'm wrong, why didn't God send revival and a great awakening? I mean, there's been times in the history of the world where it's gotten pretty bad. God doesn't wipe everybody out with a flood. He brings revival and a great awakening, right? Why didn't God do that? Instead of wiping out all living things, both man and animals. It seems to me that something had removed that possibility. That was no longer an option. And I believe it was because of demonic contamination uh, that Satan, remember what the Bible says, all flesh had corrupted itself upon the earth. All flesh had been corrupted, had been violated, had been uh, contaminated with demon seed. These, these stories in mythology, we think they're just mythological stories. Well, a lot of times those things have some root in fact of these half-man, half-animal demigods that we see in Greek mythology and other places. Does some of that have any roots in historical fact? I believe it could be. Something happened that caused God to, to feel he had to wipe out all living things on the earth except for Noah and his family. The Bible says that Noah was perfect in his genealogy. The Hebrew is he was uncontaminated. That God supernaturally kept Noah and his family pure from which to repopulate the earth. Although the Bible does say that before and even after the flood there were giants on the earth. These Nephilim that we read about in Genesis 6. The word Nephilim in the Hebrew means fallen ones. 
These were the offspring of the demons and the women. Their offspring were called Nephilim, which means fallen ones, half demon, half human hybrids. Now, the Bible says that after the flood, we saw these uh, giants, and I don't have time to get into it, but um, Goliath is probably the most well-known giant that we know of, right? Uh, we know that he had four brothers. You know, David picked up five stones. Remember that story when he was going to go attack Goliath with a, a sling? He goes to the river, riverbed and, and takes how many stones? Five. He was going to take on the whole family. But remember, it says that these men had six fingers on each hand, six toes on each foot. These were not normal human beings. History records that in different parts of the world, they have found skeletons of people that were, Goliath was almost 10 foot tall. They have found other skeletons that are over 10 foot tall, 12 foot tall. There were giants at one time in the earth, and I believe it was the result of demonic inbreeding with human Women. Well, we have to stop there. I, I had more. I didn't really want to do a part two. You know, I mean, it's hard for you, to, for you guys to sit through this. It's not something you leave going, wow, was I encouraged through that. Man, bring it on, Pastor. That really, I tell you what, I'm just going to walk out of here really high, the Lord. Hey, look, we got to know our enemy, right? So come on back next week. We'll talk some more. All right. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you, of course, are more powerful than any fallen angel, including Lucifer. We thank you, Lord, that really the war is over. We might lose a battle here or there, but the war is over. Jesus Christ has won. He has conquered over principalities and powers and all the uh, forces of the evil one. We thank you, Lord, that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is victorious. And even though this world seems to be firmly under the control of Satan, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back to take possession. And he will rule from Jerusalem over the whole earth, a world filled with his righteousness uh, and his power and love and so on. So, Lord, we ask you to continue to bless these studies, Lord, that we would understand our enemy. We would not be ignorant of Satan's schemes or devices, as the Bible says, but that we in these last days might know these things, that we would be watchful and vigilant. All the things you've commanded your people to be, well, we can't be ignorant and be watchful. We can't be ignorant and be vigilant. We have to know what's going on around us, what your word clearly teaches us about the enemy and the days we're living in and what's coming. So, Lord, thank you. We ask you to keep blessing now these studies in your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.